Chapter 7 The Servant Son Verse 19 So he departed hence and found Elisha, the son of Saphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen before him, and he with the twelfth, and Elijah passed by him, and cast his mantle upon him. And he left the oxen, and ran after Elijah, and said, Let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow thee. And he said unto him, Go back again, for what have I done to thee? And he returned back from him, and took a yoke of oxen, and slew them, boiled their flesh with instruments of the oxen, and gave unto the people, and they did eat. Then they arose, and went after Elijah, and ministered unto him. First King, chapter 19, verses 19 through 21. We know nothing of Elijah's background, whether rich nor poor, prominent or lowly. We do know that Elijah came from a very wealthy family, obviously owners of considerable land. We first meet Elijah in the field plowing. Twelve pairs of oxen are at work, twelve men. And the last of these is young Elijah. The capital required to have and train twelve yoke of oxen was a substantial one. Elijah was an important heir. Now Elijah inherits something different. Barry wrote that casting one's mantle over another person is, quote, said to have been part of the form of adoption of a child, unquote. Casting the mantle over another one is definitely an act of incorporating the person into one's own life, taking them under one's care and protection. It meant adoption and more. We encounter the practice in Ruth, verse 3 and verse 9. And he, Boaz, said, Who art thou? And she answered, I am Ruth, thy handmaid. Spread therefore thy skirt over thine handmaid, for thou art a near kinsman. Ruth, by asking that Boaz's mantle be cast over, was reminding him of their legal relationship and invoking its realization. Elijah, in casting his mantle over Elisha, declared that Elisha was now his son, servant, and successor. In any approach to a superior, a man either sought the protection of his mantle, i.e. incorporation to the family, or faced him as an enemy. To accept the mantle or the robe was to accept protection on one hand and responsibility of service on the other. In the New Testament, our Lord deals with this fact in the parable of the wedding feast. For a man to enter the king's presence clothed in anything save the king's robes or mantle was an affront to calling for total judgment. Matthew chapter 22 verses 1 through 14. It meant a refusal to be under the king or to be his charge, preserved, protected by him. It signified self-righteousness as against the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. Elijah understood the meaning of Elijah's act. He was immediately, by God's grace through Elijah, made Elijah's son, servant, 
and successor. Hence, he asked permission before returning to kiss his father and mother goodbye before joining Elijah. Elijah, in effect, said, I am not preventing you. Take your leave and then follow me. Elijah ended his relationship to his natural family and his old airship. He killed two oxen. He used the yoke to boil the meat and said farewells and joined Elijah. We are told that he, quote, ministered unto him, end quote. He was Elijah's son and servant, caring for his new father. This service marked him as heir and the new prophet. Second Kings chapter 3, verse 11 makes clear. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there not here a prophet of the Lord that we may inquire of the Lord by him? And one of the king of Israel's servants answered and said, Here is Elisha, the son of Saphat, which poured water on the hands of Elijah. Note the expression, Elijah is the man which poured water onto the hands of Elijah. This marked Elijah as a servant son. This fact also sets forth a necessary aspect of the Christian calling. In pagan religions, men resorted to the gods and their temples for insurance, resources, protection of the limited nature. Man was implicitly the sovereign. He chose the God whom he would approach for a given service. That service might be a protection of one's person or cargo on a sea voyage or a land journey. It could be for help in illness or a love affair. The service was bought and paid for. The purchaser could be appreciative, grateful, or disenchanted. But it was his decision to react to the god or goddess as he saw fit. The pagan bought God's services. The god might be more powerful than he, but the sovereign choice rested with man. The pagan might flatter a god and speak of adoration and worship, but his actual practical purpose was the purchase of services and help. He shot for these as we might shop for a better grocer or plumber. From this it is clear that paganism still marks many churchmen. They come to God and Christ for fire and life insurance, for help, and for the best of all resources. They do not come as servant sons whose total lives are now under God's command. They do not see themselves as Christ's property bought with a price. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. That they might speak of a doctrine of adoption, but they do not see adoption of Elijah, Elijah as all of Scripture does. When Paul speaks of adoption in Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7, he speaks of the fact that a child does not differ from the servant. Although the Lord has all of the air, he is, during his tutelage, under authority, and under authority on the same basis as a servant. 
Paul speaks of the contrast between service before and after Christ. But in Romans chapter 8, verses 15 and 17, it is clear that he also means that we are children when adopted, babes in Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. We are servant sons called to grow up, quote, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, end quote. Ephesians 4, verse 13. To be a perfect or mature man in Christ does not mean to cease from service, but to serve as a son, with authority, not as a tutored child. Men who are truly men in Christ, men who command, are men who are under authority. Matthew chapter 8, verse 9. The measure of our power of command is the measure of the authority we recognize and obey. Elijah and Elijah were men under authority and therefore men of power and command. Our Lord is himself described in like terms. Verse 8. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto them that obey him. Called of God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have many things to say, and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. For when for a time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need of one to teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and have become such that you are in need of milk, and not of strong meat. For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to him that are full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8 and 14. To be sons thus means to be strong in Christ's service, fully under the authority of God's word. The servant son is a man of power and command.